As always, we want to thank our sponsor, the Norden Group of Salt Lake City. Why do portfolios of large institutions, endowments, and pensions look so different than the portfolios of high net worth individuals and families? The philosophy at the Norden Group is that you should invest your portfolio like an institution. This approach leads to complete transparency. Some key questions to ask yourself. What do I really own? How much am I paying in fees? What costs am I paying that are not disclosed? Would I be better off in a low-cost index fund? At the Norden Group, we conduct what is called a portfolio audit, which can help reveal these and other important details. Call us to set up your appointment. Investment advisor services offered through Townsquare Capital LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Townsquare is not affiliated with any other named entity. Well, thanks again to the Norden Group. I know we've said it a million times before, but uh, if you need uh, wealth management services, they're Dan and I's top recommendation. Dan and I, of course, know what we're talking about in that realm. We've we've tried them all, and the Norden Group's the best, right, Dan? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, no, it's... Um, uh, th- thanks as always to them. Uh, busy week. Finally, spring is here, question mark? I, Ish? I think so. I don't think I'm going to have to scrape my windshield anymore this season. That's my prediction. That's the goal. Okay. I, now that you've said that, of course, you know, yeah. probably jinxing it there. But uh, uh, thanks to everybody who's been getting out. Um, I mean, yesterday we saw, I was just driving around. I saw so many Maybird kids out. Oh, just I riding. saw so, like, okay, we kind of have a mon- monopoly in the area because I saw yeah. so, like most of the riders I saw out there had a, had some Maybird kit on. Um Tons of Maybird riders out. I was just made my day seeing that. I also just want to thank the coaches that have been so creative and and just you know trying to get these kids out to get them together on on rides and on sledding trips and on hikes. And um, we had one one of our lady coaches even did like an a Zoom full body workout class for her group and stuff. Just. You know, just to get together and, and get active, you know, during this unusually long winter. So, yeah, but it, it does feel like spring's coming. So it's time. Time to get out and ride, man. Time to get out and ride. I think, uh, I think for the next couple of weeks where there's just not a lot of dry trails still, we'll kind of just have the group coaches keep kind of just scheduling as they can. But if your coach schedules something, come along, you know. Yeah, go. Yeah, go. Like, yeah, if you go skiing right now, you're just going to get buried alive. So Yeah, and of course, if you're riding too, stay out of the canyons. Respect uh, the folks who have those shut down. Don't try to poach trails right now. Give things a sec to melt off. There's going to be flooding. There's going to be avalanches. It's going to be a wild spring. But And um, if you do encounter mud, it turn around. I mean, go yep. check out check out the trails. See if they're rideable. Yep. Um, but just know when to turn around. Yeah, don't be that guy because there's always that guy drives me crazy um also worth mentioning today we had a monument this morning i would say my favorite yeah i feel good saying that my favorite road bike race of the year we had perry bay this morning Wait, oh never mind what no, i was gonna what? Tr- i was gonna say what race it was oh oh yeah and, and well because today's show is kind of backwards i'll be doing the main topic and i told dan to prepare a quiz for me um, did you actually follow I don't, through? I don't want a quiz for me today. So. I, that's why I said you would prepare a quiz for yes, me. Yes, I prepared a quiz. Fantastic. But really quick as news, I have to say, and spoilers, obviously, um, uh, Van Der Poel's walked away with his second monument of the year. Looking pretty unstoppable. Granted, uh, Van Art punctured right as the two attacked. Van Der Poel had no one to challenge him. 
Um, really engaging race. I have to say, though, the women's race was yesterday. <clears throat> and I'm not just trying to be like fake feminist, like, oh, the women's racing is actually better. The women's racing is better. Women's racing is always more I don't exciting. know what it is. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't yeah. know why. But the women's Roubaix yesterday was amazing. And a relative unknown from Canada, uh, Allison Jackson, started a breakaway, kept a breakaway going, basically did all the work in the breakaway. No one would do this work dragged the group out 30 seconds the bunch caught them within like within 10 seconds she dragged the bunch the the breakaway back out from the bunch and then came to the end basically let out the sprint and won the sprint around it was it's not really supposed to work that way no it was amazing it was the it was the perfect bike race it was awesome go back and watch them um, my one critique, of course, um, the women's Roubaix was on GCN, which is very reasonably priced. I don't have a problem paying for. Um, I thought that I'd have to pay for Flow Sports, which is not reasonably priced. Flow has a whole bunch of the racing this year. It's like 150 bucks a year. Um, the men's Roubaix was on Peacock, which is NBC's thing. So right now, if you live in the United States, if you want to watch all the road races, there's three different things you have to subscribe to, which sucks. But uh, really good weekend of racing. Um, go back and watch the replays. Like this is as fun as road racing gets is Roubaix. Yeah. So our last podcast, we were at Vail Lake and we podcasted. Oh my gosh. Was that really our last podcast? Yeah. It's been a long week. Wow. And, okay. And I, I, I don't think that was our greatest podcast because like. It was not good. I went back and listened to it. And the whole time, if you listen closely, you could hear Joe yawning. Oh, During, really? Yeah, which kind of hurts my feelings a little bit. <clears throat> no, it was, we were tired and we had to drive the next morning and it was and in a little hotel room or cramped in the didn't corner. Didn't put a whole lot of prep into it. But no. the one thing I did just want to reiterate, we talked about base training. Yes. And I think the, the whole point I wanted to drive home, and I don't know if I if if I said it as well as I wanted to, is that, that basically base training isn't just something you do during the winter. It's something we are working on continually throughout the season. Right. You know, it's, yeah, we're, we're always training our base basically. So that's just kind of what, what I was trying to emphasize. So fair enough. We did have a, uh, writer submitted question this week, uh, from, uh, from Riker, one of my boys on, on the green team this year. Um, we thought about doing a whole episode for this, but I think, well, we've already done a whole episode. Cause I was gonna say, we've, we've already kind of done, a, you know, we've, yeah, we, we've talked about this before, but we do want to. Um, answer his particular question. Do you want me, should I read the question yeah, out really question. quick here? And Riker, I have to say, is a shout out, is, has been the, uh, he's, he's probably been to more rides than any of my kids. He's at every single one. He's a riot. Uh, love Riker to death. He said um, he recently got the Cyclist Trading Bible, which is kind of a seminal piece of cycling literature. Everybody has oh, it. Yeah, <laughs> I've got like several different versions. They're kind of like highlighted, like Almost like scripture. Almost like scripture. You know, like yeah. it's kind of funny. Um, but he great says, place to, to get introduced to, to training science. Lots of good moral instruction in there. You know, anyway. <laughs> um, uh, he says, uh, the book talks about avoiding overtraining being a, a principle to success in cycling, which most people know. He says, but I feel like I never know when to stop a ride to avoid overtraining or when to stop doing intervals. Um, because you also need to be progressive with your overload at the same time. If you're always tired, you won't be optimally stressing your legs. What are your thoughts on that, Dan? Okay. So yeah, I mean, this is something that we definitely have to be concerned about, but not overly concerned that it distracts us too much from training. Because um, I think once you understand overtraining well, it's, I, I don't think it's as scary as a lot of people think it is. So first of all, Riker, um, you can never overtrain in one day or one weekend. It's not 
that's something different. You know, overtraining is something that it's a chronic it's condition a chronic that you thing. develop. It takes over time. it could take a season, or it could take several weeks, or it could take a month. But it's yeah, it takes a while. Um, it's it's not something that happens. <clears throat> Uh, just in a day or a workout or something, but so, so yeah, so like like Riker said, yeah, work workouts, they need to gradually progress in either intensity or duration, or else you're not going to get better, right? Right. Um, if you don't introduce new stress, you're not going to adapt to new stress. You're not going to get faster. So correct. I mean, if you go on a ride that the average is 150 watts for an hour and a half, and that's all you do all season long, you're You'll, you'll you'll be you'll be a healthy person, you know. Like yeah. it's it's good for you, but it's it's you're not going to progress. But yeah, as you're a, not going to get rider. a whole lot better than than you are currently. So, um, occasionally though, you have workouts that, you know, like normal workouts are going to be progressive. You know, like they're going to get longer and more intense as you do them throughout the season. Occasionally, you do workouts that are considered breakthrough workouts, and. So, so breakthrough workouts are the workouts where, like I like to say, you kind of find your limits and then you push them. Right. And those should be extremely hard, should be extremely uncomfortable. But as a rule of thumb, and I think this might be kind of where I'm answering Riker's question, these workouts should be hard enough that you do need a day of recovery after, but you don't need more than one day. If it takes oh, more, okay. yeah. Like if it takes more than one day to recover, just as kind of a general rule of thumb, it probably was too much of a workout. Oh, okay. that's why, I like, good. you know, like we'll just say, like point to point, for instance, you know, right? That's not a good workout because no. <laughs> it takes you like a week or a week and a half or two weeks to recover from. Right. That's wasted training time. Right. You know, that's an event. It's, so, it's an event, right? That's the distinction, right? Is events aren't aren't meant to make you better. Events are to test how good you are. Right? Exactly. You okay. know, so if you like go out and do a workout that's like an eight hour ride where you're in zone six for two and a half hours of the ride. Well, I don't know if that's possible, but so, someone do that and tell us how it goes. <laughs> but you know, if, if you go out on and just hammer all day long for four and a half hours with people that are way faster than you, and then you're just dead for a week and a half. Okay. That's, that's too much, you know, for, for right. one workout. It's not over training, but you're, you're just kind of like the excess recovery is eating into your training time. Right, right, so, right. Um, so overtraining, what that really is, like Joe and I said earlier, it's more chronic. It takes a right. period of time to develop. But the interesting thing about overtraining is it, it's not really the best term for it. I mean, the kind of trendy term now is, is under recovery. Right. Um, but, but basically, you're just, you're just in a chronic state where you're unable to recover to sufficiently recover from the amount of work that you're doing. And usually, and, and it's not necessarily just too much training. So there's, there's, I'd say four things that really kind of come into place when people overtrain. And one is that they're just doing too much intensity. You know, if you're trying to do intense workouts four days a week, you're probably going to overcook yourself at some point during the season. That's right. why we, you know, recommend maximum two. Um, the other thing too is like an insufficient energy balance, meaning you're just not eating and fueling your workouts well enough. You're not getting enough carbohydrates before, during, and after. That's probably the second reason. In fact, most of the cases of overtraining I've dealt with um, have there's been nutrition deficiencies involved. Right. Um, the third one's not getting enough sleep is huge. Sleep is the magic 
ticket of recovery. Um, that's, and then, and then the other one is just neglecting recovery weeks. I'd say those are probably the four things that you really, really need to watch if you are concerned about overtraining. Right. Um, and again, it's, but you know, and as far as overtraining goes, probably the best way to indicate that you might be is, you know, say you've done a lot of hard work, you feel tired, you start feeling yourself getting slower and you can tell you need some rest. And if you take a day or two off and it doesn't help, you might need more time off, like a week or two or something. Granted, really quick, I will say, my first day back after any period of rest is always my worst. Give it two or three days. Yeah. Don't be like the first day back. You're always, you're always rusty. You'll, you'll always be rusty that first day back. If on day two or three, you still feel like garbage. You know? And I guess the, the essence of what you're saying is like, it's unlikely anyone here is going to just purely overwork themselves into overtraining. It's almost certainly that there will be insufficient recovery, insufficient nutrition. It's not, sleep. yeah, it's not the amount. professional cyclists will ride more and harder than any of us do and not overtrain. Exactly. It's not, the work's not the problem. Right. It's, it's what you do after the work's done. Right. You know, or the type of work you, you do is the problem, you know. So right here, if you're out on your hard day and you're like, oh, am I doing too much or whatever? Then no. If you're out on your recovery day and you're going really hard, then yeah, like that's the distinction. Or if you haven't had a recovery recovery week all summer. Right. That's, that's a problem. Or if right. you're, you know, if you're drinking Mountain Dew before you go to bed and playing yeah. with your phone and get three hours of sleep, yeah, then you could be in trouble. Or if you're not, if you don't eat food, you're going to be in trouble. So it's, it's pretty rare, I think, and pretty difficult for most people to go out on their own on just a ride and do a ride that is difficult or damaging enough that it significantly sets you back, provided you recover from it properly. You know, and even if you do one of those occasionally, it's not going to be a problem. No. No. But, you know, if that's the norm, you know, if you, if you, if you're doing five canyons once a month, you know, or like all season, yeah. You know, or like if you're doing like five breakthrough workouts all week long, every week, you're, yeah, right. it's not going to make right. you faster. So fair enough. Yeah. Sorry. Maybe I went a little too long. No, it's that, fine. So. I figured you would. That's the kind of person you are. Uh, should we do a quiz really, really quick? Cause I know people like it. Well, yeah. So. My quizzes are bad, right? Dan's quizzes are bad, but it's okay because I'll make up for it with my really good deep dive. Okay, good. Oh, you know what? Can I just... I mean, I'm super excited for Joe's deep dive okay. today, but we'll, we'll do the quiz. So for the quiz, I, I wanted to make this kind of easy for you because I know you're concentrating on other things right now. Right, yeah. So, and, and the folks at home can play along, okay? Because okay. I just okay. want to do a fun quiz. Okay. Because Are mine not fun? Are mine too competitive? Okay. Yeah, a little. Okay. So, so wait. Um, here's what I want to ask you. Mm -hmm. What are the best post-ride meals? Okay. Okay. So first, what? Where is the best post-ride burrito, and what is it? I would say it is. It, it is Cafe Rio. I will start just putting my cards on the table. Okay, everyone's playing at home too. Right? I'm putting my cards on the table here. I like Cafe Rio. I'm not going to defend it as authentic Mexican food. I, I will defend it for other reasons that we don't have time to go into today. You go there and you get a, a sweet pork burrito with hot sauce and uh, rice and black beans inside. And that's it. Like that, that right there. I think, and I, I think you could actually make a decent argument for it in terms of it's like macros and, and, and nutrients, but that is my go-to. Is that is that a fair, defensible oh, answer? I, I do agree. And I think you're right. I don't think okay. Cafe Rio is authentic, but no. it's delicious. But it's very good. Yeah, and that's yeah. not... I'm, when I go to Cafe Rio, I'm not looking for authentic Mexican food. Like, there's good... We like uh, that Tacos Don Rafa place we went to yesterday that, that you showed good. me. 
go check that out. That's okay. really good. That's authentic. But yeah, no, I'm, that's like my post-ride comfort, you know. Sweet pork burrito. Okay. Yep. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay. What is the best post-ride burger? Oh, I'm not a huge burger guy. Um, I would say... I would say depending on my mood, if it's like, you know, like I love with, with Tessa sometimes we'll go on that amazing summer ride up at solitude and just have a good time and then go get an out burger after that's fun. After a big, long, intense day, it's five guys. I think five guys is my, like, if I want, if I feel like a burger after a long sweaty ride, you know, lost a lot of salt, super, super hungry. I'm after the five guys and I would defend that as the superior burger. But I think there's kind of a I don't know if you can describe it in an out burger as light, but it feels lighter and like a little more, you know, like just like a fun weeknight treat. Big, like uh, five guys is a little more like I need all this food. I need, you know, I want something big and sloppy. I need 1500 calories stat. Correct. Yeah. That's my distinction there. Okay. My last question. Okay. Is what is the best post ride pizza and everyone play, play along Ooh. at home. Okay. Um, I, I have a couple of thoughts on this. Um, I, I, I think I think Big Apple Pizza is the best pizza in this area. I am not a fan of the pie. I think it's fine. I think it's too much cheese. I don't want eight pounds of cheese on my pizza. Um, I think Little Caesars is fun. You know, that's I think I prefer Little Caesars over like um, Pizza Hut or Domino's or anything like that if I'm after that kind of thing. But I think for the most part, like Tessa and I went on this amazing fall ride last year. It was her big ride that we worked her up to got up onto the crest, rode up Mill Creek and everything. Um, got Big Apple after that. I don't think I've ever been happier. Okay. Big Apple pizza. I will, I will die on the hill. I will say if you happen to be in Cedar city, pizza cart is the best pizza, but around here, like, I don't think anything comes close to Big Apple. Yeah. If you're in Cedar city Monday through Friday. Yeah. They're weird hours, but yeah, that that's, I think is probably better, better pizza, but I don't know because it's a slightly different experience. That's okay. new, you know, Big Apple's obviously New York pizza. That's more like, Pizza cart's more like I'd imagine what you'd find in, in Italy well, those, or something like that. I'd say those are all pretty safe answers. I'm, a, I'm okay. There's probably some of those contrarians that aren't gonna. It's okay, you know. You know I think I, if you it, don't love Cafe Rio, God still loves you. But you know, like I, that's not liking Cafe Rio is not a personality. Is will be my will be my take okay. on that. Is that fair? That sounds good. <laughs> all right. Well, let's let's get back to bikes here. Bikes. So Joe's doing the deep dive today. And Joe and I, like a week ago, kind of just talked about this a little bit. He wouldn't tell me much. Yeah. And, and I've actually been really looking forward to it. And it's been nice for me because it gave me like an extra week to come up with a long-winded explanation of why you should ride more. Um, so it's funny because you, you basically spend all week rehash, you know, coming up with creative new ways to rehash the same five topics is kind of like my take on this podcast. Is that, am I off base there? Well, no, I think, I don't know. Was that a personal attack? I'm sorry. Um, it's fun for me. Hopefully it's fun for at least somebody else. I don't know if it's fun. It's useful. I'll defend its usefulness. But um, I was I was curious, you know, because I'm, I'm more into the bike side. Dan's more into the fitness side. You know, I'm into the side that doesn't matter. Dan's into the side that matters is another. It's probably the way he likes to look at it. Yeah, but. we're going to learn how to gain like a watt and a half versus like. Well, that's what I thought. This versus like. 150 watts. You know? This 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 piece. Actually, I don't know that anyone's going to gain 150 watts. That's, <laughs> that's a huge check to write down. This piece was supposed to be one thing, and then I kind of dug into it and realized it was another, if that makes sense. Um, there are two big categories of how to gain speed from your bike. Um, 
and there's weight. Cyclists have cared about weight as long as cycling's been a competitive, you know, mass participation sport. Um, the benefits of making a bike lighter are pretty obvious. You know, I don't need to explain gravity to anyone here. Um, in the last 20 years or so, uh, we've started caring about aerodynamics. Uh, there's been the proliferation of aero bikes and deep wheels and aero helmets and stuff on the road. And it's interesting because within the past five years or so, and we'll do. We're, I want to do like an entire podcast dedicated to. <gasps> Can we do an aero podcast? To aero, yeah, that would be really interesting. Because it matters in the mountain bike world now. You see, I mean, if you watch the World Cups, they're wearing aero kit. You know, especially the short tracks, like they're wearing long sleeve skin suits and aero helmets and stuff. Like, no, it, it really, do, like it doesn't matter for. I think if you're in a if you're in a you know JVD two, then it's probably not the end of the world. But for the varsity guys, I think you should think about it. It, it does matter more than we think. Yeah, like so. So like arrows, I think, but then there's this third category that's emerged in the past five or 10 years where people have really started to care about drivetrain efficiency. Um, I'm going to talk a lot in this episode about ceramic speed. <clears throat> I'm going to kind of pick on them a little bit. Um, ceramic speed is, is one of my favorite companies in cycling. They're a Dutch firm. Um, they, I think most of their actual revenue comes from aerospace, uh, the aerospace industry. They make, or they started at least making uh, ceramic bearings. That's their whole thing, right? Um, if, if you're not aware, most of the bearings used in cycling applications are just standard stainless steel, similar to what you'd find in, in most, you know, um, you know, like probably automotive stuff, you know, it, it, nothing special, but, um, like I've always wondered like what exactly is ceramic? Cause when I think of ceramic, I think of like clay. my ceramics class, like, like you make these ball bearings and put them in the kiln and you know what i actually think that's what it is it's essentially that i mean obviously it's more it's more complicated than that but the idea is like the way the guy explained it to me was like um if you look at a steel bearing under a microscope it is entirely imprecise it is because you think of a steel bearing as being perfectly yeah you know um uh, spherical, but it's not right. He said you put our. He said you put a ceramic speed bearing under a microscope. You cannot find a fault with it. Um, NASA uses them. You know, like they're they're used in applications where they have to be perfect, right? Okay. And my sus my suspicion is that someone in the company liked cycling. I don't think they got into the business to do stuff for cycling. I think that's like their side business, and we probably never heard of the real legal entity, Ceramic Speed, that does aerospace stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I had a, I've, I've sat through several presentations when I was in the industry. We carried them, and their pitch was like, you know, like you know, buy our our oversized pulley wheels and our bottom bracket and our wheel bearings. It'll speed you up for the person who who already has everything. You want to gain those extra watts or whatever. And I was skeptical, but they give you know they, they kind of give a pretty good defense for why you should spend money in their product. They're like, you know, bicycles are amazingly efficient things. You know, like cars are only they say like an internal combustion engine, a gasoline powered car is only like. 23% thermally efficient, right? Um, well, because like you think about it, like there can be something kind of majorly wrong with your car or, or like if you're getting bad, bad gas mileage, you don't really realize it because you're just pushing on a pedal and the engine's going and you really can't tell if right. it's getting, because right, right, the engine's right. doing it. But when, when you're the engine, oh yeah, you can really, like if there's something slightly wrong with your bike, yes, you can really tell. You can really tell. And when it's interesting, because like I said, like a car is, is, it's hard to get an exact number, but like around, you know, 25, 30% efficient. Um, bicycles are more efficient than humans unaided. 
um, mechanically. So a bike, it, until you get to about a 3% grade. Is that efficiency referring to how much goes out as heat, basically? Like, it's, it's everything. It's basically how much energy you're spending for how much energy hits the road is the easiest way I, I can think about it. So Yeah, because so you're saying like only 25% of the power from the car actually makes actually it to the road. Makes Most the car of it goes off into heat. It's so heat, yeah. That's similar to humans, right? Right, and it's like it's like in a car, like an electric motor is almost perfectly efficient, right? Um, a bicycle makes a human more efficient, right? So um, on, a, on a flat ground, on flat ground, they say a bicycle is five times as efficient as a human running or walking. You have to get to about a four or 5% grade for walking or running to become more efficient, right? Um, so it's really interesting stuff. And, and you wouldn't think in a system that efficient, you could find inefficiencies, but they are there. Um, if you think about a chain as a, as a collection of really small moving parts, um, every single time you pedal, every time your chain, you know, completes a circuit around your drivetrain, it has to bend a whole bunch of times. And if you were to watch a single link, you'd basically see it bend halfway, bend back, bend halfway, bend back, bend a little more, bend back, you know, as it goes around the chain rings, pulley wheels, and then the cassette. Every time that chain is bending, it's rubbing metal on metal, right? So you have metal abrading metal. Um, it's, it's creating not a ton of heat, but it's creating like, like friction, you know, and this is why over time chains wear out and chains stretch and everything. Um, so it's really interesting to kind of look and, and see if, if there are these places where you can find little bits of, of, of free speed, right? So ceramic speed, the, the product that people will be most familiar with are the oversized pulley wheels. So in your derailleur, you have those two little wheels that sit in the cage. And you might have noticed some, some professionals or even a lot of amateurs these days will have these giant pulley wheels, like as big as like... I don't know, like what, what, like a plum. That's a really horrible, like what a weird, what, <laughs> what a, a weird, like starting to think of a coin. Cause like a normal pulley wheel is like a little bigger than a quarter. Maybe it's, like, it's almost like the size of a tennis ball, but maybe a little smaller, a little like it's smaller, but they're huge. They're, yeah. they're very noticeable. Right. And it's cool. The idea there is that your chain does not have to bend as much going around a bigger circle essentially. Right. Um, and you have to get like a special cage for your correct yeah. yes correct so and those will cost anywhere between three and six hundred dollars um, you can spend up to two thousand they make a special edition thing but like for most people they're spending between three and six hundred dollars depending on what kind of derailleur you and it have. does look kind of cool it's like oh they look super fancy cool. hubcaps or something they look super cool so those will save they say obviously it depends uh, they say that the oversized pulleys can save like you know two to three watts. Right. And I'm going to give you a lot of save X watts at, so the industry okay. standard is at 250 watts at 90 RPMs. Okay. Anytime I'm saying save X number of watts, the industry standard for measuring this is at 250 watts at 90 RPMs. So remember, if you're a really strong So that's like burst, the top of my zone one, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So for Dan, it's probably like six times as much. You no, know, but like if you are a varsity racer, an elite level racer, and your normalized power in an iCup is 320 watts, remember, these numbers will be higher for you. Right. Um, yeah, so like three to five watts there. They'll also sell you a ceramic bottom bracket where the bearings are ceramic. That'll save you another two to three watts. They'll sell you wheel bearings. that will save you one to two. Um, and if you are a professional rider, that's something, you know. Well, if you've kind of maxed out your fitness. Yep. Like it gets to a point where I don't know, you know, if you've like whoever's been at their highest FTP, you know, to like say your highest FTP you could ever get to is like, 185 or 190 or whatever yep. to add five points to that mm. is kind of, but i guess it's not really at your f well it might add more watts at your ftp right it could if your ftp is higher than 250 watts yeah, these numbers so. will be higher and, it, and so if you go and buy ceramic speeds oversized pulley wheels their ceramic bottom bracket and their ceramic wheel bearings as near as i can figure you can save 10 watts which is not nothing right at 250 that's watts, quite a bit actually it's quite a bit right um that will cost you about fifteen hundred dollars 
So the whole point of this story was essentially going to be like arguing, is that worth it? You know, and I was going to have like, well, a lot of people will spend $1,500 on X, Y, or Z without batting an eye. This should be a no brainer, right? But on the other side, I'm like, that's a huge amount of money. And then what I realized is that's not even really and, like. And yeah, and I don't know. I mean, that is that kind of lab conditions versus real world mm, versus. And this is where the story gets interesting because I was curious, how many watts can you save by cleaning and lubing your chain? Because how many times, and there are people on this team who are guilty of it. There are people who live in this house who are guilty of this. How many times have you seen a bike with a chain that's black and a cassette that's black? My bikes look like this sometimes. It's okay to admit like they're just a filthy chain that somebody keeps just throwing lube over and wiping a little bit and then going out on the next ride. Like how often do you see that? Well, I see that a lot, but I also see some that are just shiny and Oh, I've never been lubed before. Bone dry and just squeak and squill and just have no lube whatsoever or, or lube that just fails like your first Or like at an race, you can hear the bikes coming. You know, that like horrible, like creaky dry chain sound, or even like a creaky dirty chain sound. Um, you can save five to 10 watts by doing that. And it costs basically nothing, right? So ba so basically like a, a chain that has no lube on it, that's squeaky and loud is gonna cost you 10 watts. Uh, I would say that would probably be more like five. I, I think the way I read it, a really dirty chain could sap 10 watts. An unlubed clean chain could probably sap two to five. I don't mm -hmm. know, it, and, it's, and again, I should say really quick, I should have said this before. This is not science. Science does not exist in this discipline. There have not been peer-reviewed studies and thousands of repeated tests. This is all rough. So I just give this that disclaimer. Is, this is bro science. This is bro science, right? And you know, like th that disclaimer being there, I'd, I'd love for this to be science someday. I don't think there's enough money in it that we'll ever see that. But um, but you know, like like cleaning your pulley wheels, they, I, I read a source, it was like, you know, you could probably save two to three watts by cleaning your pulley wheels. If they're really, really dirty, you know, if the chain's not grabbing on well, if the bearings are totally shot, cleaning or replacing those, maybe one to two. Um, new wheel bearings are another maybe two to three if you have really old wheel bearings that are totally shot. Um, one that was interesting was brake drag, um, which is basically when your brake pads and brake rotor are making contact when you're not braking. So like your brake calipers adjusted poorly. So can I talk about this really quick? Yes, please. Because this is something I I have feelings on. This Again, we're, we're not dealing with science, but like, so I've always told kids that, okay, if you think your brake's rubbing, lift up your wheel, spin it. If it spins for a really, really long time without stopping, you're probably fine. It's just, yes. making, it's just making a sound that's annoying, right? but really isn't right. affecting you much. If it's like, and that's usually just because your rotor's kind of warped and it's just right. dinging. As you get the, like a tink, 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 yeah, something like that's that. That's not yeah. going to sleep. If you pick up your wheel and spin it and it only goes around like two or three times before it stops, then that's definitely going to be robbing you watts. And it's interesting because I tried to find numbers on this and it was it was tricky, but um, I, I I did find something from from your favorite, Hunter Allen, um, who's, who's a reliable source, I would say, who estimated that a dragging brake could cost anywhere from five to 20 watts. And uh, I read a, a little thing he said where he'd, he'd picked up somebody's bike where they had brake drag and they'd been riding with brake drag so severe that he estimated up to 100 watts were being sapped. Um, and I, I kind of believe it. I think there are plenty of people who are, are riding bikes right now where you could gain 20 watts by readjusting your brakes. Yeah, so pick up your wheel. If your wheel spins like a whole bunch of times without stopping, then it's good. If it only spins around like five times before it stops, yep. you know, then you might need to adjust your brake. Readjust path. those brakes, man. You'll, you'll move up 10 spots in your next race. Um, 
if you've been listening to this at this point, you are screaming into your phone, you're forgetting to talk about the most important piece. And uh, that is where this, this completely went off the rails and I totally changed my focus for this here. Um, all of the things that we've talked about, like the ceramic speed stuff, um, you spend that 1500 bucks for that, for the oversized pulley wheels, for the uh, bottom bracket and for the wheel bearings. Again, you're like maybe 10 watts. You can save up to 10 watts by waxing your chain. So this is, so really quick, really quick. If we're already talking about somebody who's maximized everything, whose drivetrain is clean, whose bike is in good condition, before you even, before you spend that 1500 bucks to go and get the oversized pulley wheels and everything, get a waxed chain is, is the takeaway. Like, like they said, five to 10 watts right there. And you know, like, like, you know, ceramic speed will sell you wax chain for 200 bucks, right? Which sounds like a lot, but compared to the 1500 you'd spend on the ceramic bottom bracket and oversized pulley wheels and everything, five to 10 watts. So I want to talk today about chains. You had something to say really quick. I was just gonna point out as just a disclaimer, we are very much not recommending that you go get anything from ceramic speed no. right now. Because like, we're talking five or 10 watts. Most of you out there have hundreds of watts on the table that you could, oh, yeah. that you could gain from from increasing your training or following good training principle guidelines and and um, five to you know spending that much money for five to ten watts for pretty much everyone listening to this is not necessary at all. I mean, there's just just from how you train, there's just so much more fitness to gain once you've completely maximized that and you're like a world tour pro and you know and maybe not even a world tour like i i think if if you're listening to this and you're like a top five varsity or pushing to get in to get your cat one upgrade really rich parents and your bike is and your bike is pristine and and you know what in that case 1500 bucks for an extra 10 watts that's a good deal you know, I think but I, the I don't vast think, well, majority even, of us. Even a varsity rider, I think, could easily, like just from training, could get it's a, that same. It's a tenuous argument, yeah. but it, it's there. And, and that's why like ceramic speed, I don't want this to be like a hit piece on ceramic speed um, because they have never come out and said, hey, every rider should have ceramic speed. It is for elite level riders. So there might be somebody out there where this, you could make an argument for this. I'm not encouraging you to go and do this, yeah. um, th- that stuff. So I am encouraging you though, to think about your chain. Um, I remember saying once, and I'm embarrassed now that the ch- I, you know, I was telling somebody else, I was like, you know, like upgrading your cassette from XT to XTR, that'll save a ton of weight. You know, like uh, that's the big one. You may be shifter and derailleur, you know, like, you'd be like chains, I wouldn't worry about. I, I remember saying this, like, don't worry about the chain. Cause in my mind, I was like, you know, Upgrading from a GX to an X01 chain or from XT to XTR or SLX to XT, like it's quite a bit of money and like very little weight savings. I'm like, I don't really know. Like, that's kind of silly. Like, why, why would you do that? I, I went around telling people that for a long time. And I was always told that, and I think you might've told me this, that the main difference between like an XT and an XTR is just a little bit of weight. Like they'll use like, they'll have the hollow pins. They'll use hollow pins or something. Correct. Yeah. And, and um, I think a lot of people think this way. Um, and I'm owning up to thinking thinking that way, but um, there are so many good reasons to spend a lot of money on your chain, like so, so many. And the first, if, if you're not familiar, because this is a concept we're going to talk about a whole lot, is, is just the longevity of your chain and uh, the effect that it has on drivetrain wear. So if you are not familiar, um, when you ride your bike and you pedal, your chain stretches. It's not visible to the human eye. You have to use a tool to measure it. Um, and we're talking about millimeters here, or even like a fraction of a millimeter. But as you ride, if you ride for a whole season, season and a half, two seasons, people will do, 
um, your chain will stretch and it will stretch and stretch. And as your chain stretches, it will stretch the uh, teeth on your cassette and in some cases even your chain ring to match its profile as it stretches. And so what happens is, is the Nike kid, and we'll say Joe, because Joe did this, um, the Nike kid goes and he rides his bike and he rides 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 for a season and a half. And then one day his really old chain that he's been riding for 18 months snaps and it's no good anymore. And he goes and he puts a new chain on it and his drivetrain sounds awful. It's making like this, it sounds like a lawnmower when he rides. It's the only way I can describe it. It's this horrible grinding, so grinding rattling yeah. sound. It's horrible, right? And you what's can happened, feel it. You can feel it. It's, it basically makes your bike unrideable. Um, and what's happened there is you're putting a new chain that is not stretched onto a drivetrain that is stretched. And then Nike Kid has to go and spend a ton of money on a new cassette and maybe even new chain rings. And for those of you listening, XTR, X01, XX1 cassettes are what, bare minimum 350 bucks these days? Like a new XX1 cassette's like close to $500, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's an enormous amount of money. So that sucks. So what we, what we tell people is check your chain all the time. There's a little tool you can buy for $11 and something cents from Park Tool or whoever else that you basically drop into your chain and um, you, you can measure how far it's stretched. And, and at, a, at a certain point, you can just replace it. Replace the old chain, throw the new chain on, drivetrain won't stretch, you're good to go. You can make cassettes and chain rings last a Forever really almost. long time, a really long time, if you replace your chain. So like, um, bear that in mind as we talk about chain longevity. That's why chain longevity matters, right? Because if a chain's stretching quickly, you're gonna have to buy a lot of chains to make sure you're preventing well, that. Well, and, and chain stretch is interesting because I know kids that just, you know, they just ride really kind of steadily and mm-hmm. and lower wattage, and and their chain will be fine for years. And yep. I know other kids do like I was sprint through. sprint workouts, and they you can stretch a chain in a week. I mean, I've, I probably averaged two and a half chains per season when I was a Nike racer. Is that does that number sound reasonable? Probably, yeah, you, it was something like that. You know, and and you know what, like that's part. It's part of the. It's part of cycling. You know, you have to spend money on that, but. It's really. I, I usually I usually go through about a chain a season, um, but I do check them quite frequently. I need to go check mine now. Actually, it's probably stretched. And yeah, I need to check mine too. But but it's interesting because I, I was reading through this and I started I started reading about chains and stuff, right? And again, this is not science, but um, uh, Ceramic Speed has done some testing with different drivetrains and stuff just to see, and they were kind of testing to see. I'm going to go back to chain stretch in a sec, but talking about chains and efficiency. So most of these these statistics you've given us have come from ceramic speed. Yes, which actually gives them that's pretty credible. It's credible They're, because ceramic speed. It's is, a pretty scientific. They will happily sell you a Durace chain or a Red chain or an XX1 chain and an XDR chain. Well, I guess Durace and XDR chains used to be the same thing, but um, I would not listen to what any company says about their own products. But Ceramic Speed doesn't really like, when it comes to chains, they don't make their own chains. They treat other people's chains, right? And in just a second, we're going to talk about some other data we get from people outside of Ceramic Speed too. Um, but it, it's it's really interesting. You know, they, they did some testing and they actually found um, that uh, SRAM chains, road and mountain across the board, are measurably less efficient than Shimano chains and drivetrains, which is really interesting. This is more just interesting. I'm going to give you my thoughts on why I don't think you should think about this too much in a sec. But um, they said, on average, between a SRAM and Shimano drivetrain, you're going to find about a two watt difference um, at 250 watts, which again isn't nothing. It's something there. Um, and um, you know, so I was reading about that, but then I started reading it, and so I was kind of like, oh, you know, like. I've always kind of been favor, you know, I kind of favor Shimano generally, you know, if the well, technology is the same, yeah. you know, I know I'm you're old, a big I'm old Shimano school, fan. You know. 
But then I started reading about chain longevity. And, and this is where things get interesting. So of course, as you use a chain, it stretches. Uh, you want to avoid that as much as possible, but you also want your chain to be efficient. Um, uh, started reading about what actually wears chains down and the mechanical processes at play there. And, and this is where I have to introduce someone named Adam Kieran, who's, not, I believe, an Australian guy who has a company called Zero Friction Cycling. And Zero Friction Cycling is a good source because they don't make anything. They just sell other people's products. This guy spent, he said he spent about $15,000 of his own money developing a protocol to test chains and lube to see what is the most efficient and then whatever products are the most efficient he sells on his website. Um, he built this fascinating rig where he basically took an old like a tax training bike and put a motor on it and he he tested all of these different chains and lubes and different conditions and stuff where he can just sit it on this thing and this machine just destroys the chain, right? It just pumps 250 watts at 90 RPMs through these chains where he tests different like um, lubes and stuff on them. Um, you can go, Cycling Tips did a whole article about this um, uh, two or three years ago, so you can go and read that to get all the details. But this guy was testing mountain bike chains. He'd stick them on there and he would run them through different intervals where every chain would run for 4,000 kilometers or 4,000 cycles or whatever it was for the first block, totally clean. Then he'd introduce this kind of lube. Then he'd introduce a whole bunch of grit and do these other things. And he said it was amazing because there's a huge difference in um, chain longevity and stuff uh, between different brands. Um, and and he said that his his kind of thesis that he was able to back up with data is that friction causes chain wear. And uh, particularly friction with, with grit. He said that's that's where you get chain wear, right? So most, and you know, I, I, originally when he'd done this research, it was mostly for road bike, but then he kind of tested mountain bike chains and then really like, uh, you know, dusty, gritty or wet and muddy environments. And uh, friction eats chains. And additionally, friction is, is inefficient, right? So you have this this kind of, you kind of dump this combo of problems where if you have friction, not only is your chain going to, you know, slowing you down, it's going to die quicker and, and slow you down, you money. right? Which sucks. Um, and, and so, you know, you did all this testing and, and I, I will say really quickly, um, I, I don't want to belabor this point, but it is really interesting. Um, SRAM chains last much longer than Shimano. Like, like all of this, the data is not even close. And I can show you over here. He, he did this really interesting, um, uh, cost of ownership per 10,000 kilometers of riding where he said, this is how much this chain costs per 10,000 kilometers of riding, right? Because if one chain, you know, if an NX chain costs a fraction of an XX1 chain, but you have to replace it four or five times as often, it's not a better deal, right? And as you spend more on chains, particularly on SRAM chains, you get different coatings and stuff. And he said his idea is that, you know, like these coatings, they make the chains harder, more, um, uh, uh, you know, like better at um, dealing with abrasive uh, wear from friction and stuff like that, and then better at keeping uh, grit out. So in my mind, I was always like, you know, chains, there's a little bit of weight, but like I'll buy GX chains or XT chains happily. Um, the cost of ownership per 10,000 kilometers, and of course this is in his, so like the, the dollar numbers aren't the actual dollar numbers, just use them as reference, right? He found that an X01 chain was around $90 per 10,000 kilometers. Of course, that number won't be true for you, but just keep that in mind. $90 per 10,000 kilometers. An NX chain, which costs considerably less than X01, is going to be more like $110 for every 10,000 kilometers. Basically, you have to replace it a lot more. Because it wears more, out right? faster. XX1 is about the same. So this is really interesting. That XX1 chain, it's going to suck to swipe your card and buy it. But it's going to last so much longer than an XX1 or X01. XX1, X01. So I'm sorry, I'm going to say like, um, you know, I'm, I'm giving the XX1 example here because XX1 and NX came out at the same. He found that they both cost about 110 
dollars per per 10,000 kilometers. So my point is like, it might suck to buy that XX1 chain, but it's going to last so much longer because it's not going to stretch as quickly, you know? Um, he because found, it resists friction better? It resists friction and keeps, you know, and, um, uh, you know, like... Well, I guess like with um, like cars, like like the more precise Japanese motors right. that are built to, to higher tolerances... right like don't wear out as quick and don't need to be don't have the same like service intervals and so forth because of their precision level so it's probably just like that right correct yeah and but and, and it's worth pointing out too that and and we don't know why i mean his he has a bunch of guesses but again this isn't science you know there's one guy's testing um he felt like and really quick like a gx uh chain is more expensive than nx or x01 it's kind of like the worst of both worlds then you get into xtr xtr chains are like 150 bucks per 10,000 kilometers. And again, X01 is like 90. That's a huge difference. And then he found too, and this was this was really interesting to me, there is a very uh, popular chain from KMC who is kind of a third party name. They make, I think they just make mm-hmm. chains basically. They have a 12 speed chain that a lot of people bought during COVID when you couldn't buy Ceram or Shimano. And it's like a really expensive, it's actually more expensive than XTR or XX1. This chain cost just shy of $400 per 10,000 kilometers. And again, X01 was like 90 bucks. Okay. So this is an insanely expensive chain that wears really quickly. So um, based on this, he was like, you know, like, you know, he's like, as a total nerd, he said what he does is he trains with a, a SRAM chain. And then when it's time to race, he throws an XDR chain on because it's slightly I was going to say, chain. so chains are interchangeable between SRAM and Shimano as yes. long as the number of speeds is correct. I figured this would come up. It's it, kind of, sort of, basically, yes. Shimano chains use a really cool technology called uh, microspline. Um, uh, or Hyperglide. No, it's called Hyperglide. Microspline is their free hub. Um, Hyperglide, which makes it, and you have XG on your bike, you can vouch for this, like it's impossible to get the chain to skip. You can, you can, you can be in a full sprint and just have a really gross, sloppy shift and it's going to shift just Yeah, fine, my right? XTR, when it's new and tuned and everything's just like, the, the shifting is amazing. Right, so if you have an XTR drivetrain, let's say you're like, oh man, I want my chains to last longer. I'm going to go ahead and throw an XX1 chain on there. It will work you won't get the, the hyperglide you know it'll 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 shift fine but under load it won't shift as well as shimano would have on the flip side if you have a sram drivetrain and you're looking for that extra two watts or whatever you could 100 percent throw an xtr chain on it It would work just fine it will probably but it won't it, it won't, won't have be the hyperglide, hyperglide but okay. it won't be worse so like if you have shimano and throw a sram chain in the shifting will get slightly worse but it'll work just fine if you have sram and throw a shimano in no downside but you know that shimano chain doesn't last as long so you can totally do that though uh, a lot of people will do like the mixed drivetrain where and I actually think it's really cool. They take an XTR cassette and chain and then use that with uh, access Bluetooth shifting. So you get the smoothness of Shimano, but with the benefits of having wireless shifting. So that's cool. Lots of industry yeah. guys do consult that. your someone. Uh, your, oh, your I, local I will mechanic. tell you that's fine. Yeah. I can tell you that's fine. I, I was skeptical at first. Tons of people do it now. Totally fine. But so that's something to think about, you know, that like you can't make shifters and derailers though. Yeah. And the thing is like, I don't want this to color your choice between SRAM and Shimano. That shouldn't be what does it like, you know, I, I think it's interesting that SRAM stuff lasts longer, but is less efficient. I, I thought I'd share that because it's interesting. I don't think that should drive anyone's buying processes. What I did think was interesting was uh, lube. Um, Because I never really thought about lube. You know, it's one of the the most consequential things to your riding experience that we never think about or talk about that much. Um, And and it sounds obvious, but like different lubes perform differently. And there are, what, 50 different options out there? You know, you go to all the bike shops in the Valley, I bet you could buy 50 different brands and versions of lube. Um, uh, 
and really the, what the job of, of lube is I think is twofold the first is to reduce uh, friction between the rubbing metal plates on your chain right and the second is to insulate your chain from grit um, you know, we were talking about the kind of two extremes where on one hand you have chains that people have just lubed over and over and over again with a lube that attracts dust and grime and grit and the chain like if you touch the chain with your leg it'll leave a big black streak and on the other hand, there are people who are using, you know, and this usually happens on the road where there's less grit. Like I see all the time people using like dry lubes on the road where there's not a ton of lubricant in it. And the chain is like howling and being screechy and dry, and, you know. And so for me, lube, like for me, the purpose of lube is to make it so I can't hear my chain. Right. You know, because like if I can hear my chain, it just drives me crazy. Right. And and I've always used the yellow muck off. And the reason I've is because I've tried a whole bunch of different types. Yeah. And I usually do like really, I like really long rides, you know. And if I like use like that, that old school finish line stuff, it's good for like the first two hours of a dusty Park City ride. But then after two hours, my chain is just, just screeching and it's, it's like... It just sounds like someone's got it following me with a chalkboard that they're scratching on the whole time. It just drives Awful. me nuts. And so I've always liked the muck off yellow lube just because it's, for me, it seems to last on my long right. rides. Like my chain doesn't make a noise the whole time. I don't know if it's more efficient or not, but it does keep it quiet. Right. And, and it's interesting riding here in Utah, especially in the past five or 10 years, we've had the moon dust. And, and most of our listeners are in Utah and they'll know what that means. You know, like the really fine dust that we've had from the really dry summers that we're basically riding in the worst conditions possible for a chain. And the worst conditions possible for a chain are Nike races. Yeah, actually. Yes. Nike really, races truly. Are yes. Just dust storms. And, and, and the sad truth is given our conditions, we're basically left with, with, with drip lubes. There's just, you're choosing the least worst option right now in a lab dry lube. So I should, I should say really quick. There are two types of lube. There's wet lube and dry lube. Wet lube is, is designed for riding in, in wet conditions. You know, if you're up in the Pacific Northwest or in the UK or something, um, riding in a lot of rain and mud, these are going to be thicker and more viscous than dry lubes. And, uh, they're designed to resist being washed away by water, right? It's called wet lubes for wet conditions. Um, uh, they're usually like oil or wax. Um, usually generally the cheaper ones are oil. And, um, the idea is they're protecting the chain from corrosion and rust and trying to just keep something on your chain to keep it, you know, lubed. So that, you know, every time you go through a puddle, it doesn't completely get washed off. Right. Um, wet lube sucks. <laughs> it attracts grit like nothing else. Cause it's just oil, right? It's, it's really similar to almost putting like olive oil on your chain, which sounds crazy, but that's kind of what it is. You know, it's something that is designed to cling to your chain and it's going to attract a bunch of crud and that sucks. We do not use wet lube in Utah. There's no reason to use wet lube in Utah. It does not rain. And if it rains, the trails are in bad enough conditions. You shouldn't be riding them. Um, I know people, you, you know, like if you really want to ride in the rainstorm that happens occasionally here on your road bike, use wet lube or whatever. Wet lube isn't even a thing I'd carry if I was a bike shop in Utah. Um, we use dry lube for the most part. Um, dry lube, of course, for dry and dusty conditions, less viscous than wet lubes, and they will usually contain some kind of solvent that helps them evaporate quickly. And the idea with a, with a, a dry lube is that you put it on and it evaporates, leaving its lubricant behind. Um, the problem with dry lubes is that most of them don't actually contain that much lubricant, which is why you say like, you know, that dry, like the, I'm going to, I'll pick on finish line. Cause we use that forever. Like the little red bottle. The reason you were doing that is because there's not much lube in it. You know, it's mostly a solvent. That's what has that kind of weird smell, you know, almost like, like paint thinner. It's, or it's almost like it was good for cleaning your chain, but not really lubricating your chain. Right. Which is interesting. Um, so like 
like the way most of us lube our chains, which is like, you know, you're about to go on a ride, clean the chain with a rag, throw some dry lube on, go ride is fine, but it's, it's not great. And it's actually contributing to all of us having, having chains that don't last very long. Um, all of the testing, um, pointed to one solution and it's waxing your chain. Now, if you're not familiar, this is something that triathletes kind of picked up on a few years ago to, to suck those extra couple Watts out of their bikes. It basically involves taking your chain. If you ever held a new chain, they're really greasy. The factory coats them in this grease. Um, Can I, uh, it, yes. How good is that grease? Like, Great question. They said it is fine. It is okay. Okay. In I've heard someone say it's like the friction. best lube job your chain's ever going to get. That is not supported by any data. Okay. Um, it is fine in a lab from an efficiency standpoint. It tends to attract a lot of grit. It is okay to just put that on your bike and go. I mean, it's not going to, your chain will sound dry and squeaky within two or three rides. Um, it's, it's like any other lube except kind of stickier. What you should do in a perfect world is take that out of the box, um, put it in some kind of a really strong solvent and allow all of the, all of the lubricant on the chain to be completely washed off. So you just have a metal chain with nothing on it. And then if you can take, and you can use paraffin wax, you know, a lot of you know, Silka and Ceramic Speed and 10 other companies make like chain wax these days because it's really popular. You basically take wax and you melt it in a crock pot and you stick your chain in. And there are different like tricks you can use to treat it or whatever. It takes a minute. It is a pain. It's a multi-step process of stripping the chain and then waxing it. But once you wax that chain, it will last for hundreds of miles. It will perfectly repel all grit. You don't have to lube it. Um, your chain will last longer. Like the, really all of us should be waxing our chains. Now we won't, it's a ton of work. I'm, I'm going to try it for the first time. I've ordered all the stuff to do it. It's, it's coming from Amazon. Does someone sell chains that are unlubricated? Ah, no, I looked into this. No one will. I think I've heard ceramic speed is trying to figure out a way to get Shimano to sell them unlubricated. I think they should. I really think they should, because if you could just take the chain and just wax it, that'd be awesome. Just eliminate that whole step, right? Um, wax doesn't last forever, but it lasts for a long time. Um, and what a lot of people will do is they will uh, wax, they'll do these in batches. They'll buy five chains and then strip them all at once. You just put them in the big pot of solvent and then you put them in the crock pot all together, you, you wax them up and the wax, and I mean, it'll last forever just on the shelf, right? It's not like it'll expire. So you wax a bunch of chains and then just every couple, every few hundred miles, you know, depending on the conditions you're riding in. A few hundred miles isn't a lot. It's like, not. That's like four rides. It's not, but on the upside, if you Look bought for some three people. chains, I was gonna say, not for most of us, if you bought three chains and you cycled through them frequently, they would probably last a decade <laughs> waxed because there's, you're never going to, there's going to be like no friction in that chain. The wax is going to eliminate the friction. It's going to keep all the, you know, dust and grime out. And it's one of those things that everybody I've read, like the pros closet had an interesting article on it. One of their people tried it. They're all like, it was a huge pain and I'm never going back because you don't have to lube your chain every single time. And when you wash your bike, you know, you wash your bike or you're doing a big gravel race and you ride through a Creek. It's not like you're, or even point to point, right? There might be a, a, a section where you ride through a puddle and all of a sudden all of the lubes off your chain and it sounds terrible till the next aid so, station. Like what if you, you have a wax chain, you go to a Nike race, it's super dusty, your teeth are black, you know, and I imagine it attracts some. None. That's, that's why it's awesome. Like, do you wipe it off? No, you don't touch it. It just stays perfectly clean and efficient all the can, time. Can you add wax to it? Yes. Over time as you ride, obviously the wax is going to wear. It'll become less effective over time, but they kind of say what you can do if you don't want to just, because they say, ideally, just slap a new chain on there. And then you're also going to prevent the stretching, right? 
Um, it'll take three times as long if you're using three different chains, right? But what you can do too is you can buy a wax-based drip lube, and and these are a little more expensive than traditional drip lubes. But put a little bit of that on, and then you know, ideally like that, give it a day to dry. Make sure that there's nothing on the chain that shouldn't be because it's waxed, right? But put a little bit of that on, refresh it. That can make that one chain probably last twice as long. So, can I can I ask you another question? Please do. That's um, why we're here. <laughs> What about like so? I've I you see products all the time in your bike shop in the lube section that will say wax on them. Ah, yes. Um, I've tried those in their garbage. Right. I I would say that's kind of like like I saw a box of Ritz crackers in the store the other day that said made with whole wheat, and I looked at the box. I was like, that's a, you know, I was like, that's a weird way to phrase that. And look, and on the box it was like the, like the tenth ingredient was whole wheat flour, but it was like they basically put enough in to say that. I kind of think it's the same deal with that. Like, is there probably some wax in that lube? Yes. Is it wax lube? No. Like real wax lube, you have to melt before you use because it's wax. At room temperature, it will be a solid, you know. Um, like wax lube is not something you keep in your car and throw on before a ride. You heat it up and then you put it on on, on, a, on a chain that's already, already waxed. And there's a product you can heat up and apply. Exactly. After. It's something you heat up and apply. You know, okay. it is, waxing is more labor intensive on the front so end. So if you can buy it in a bottle at the bike shop, even if it says wax on it, you're not waxing your chain. No, wax, truly waxing your chain you have to sticking it in a crock pot. Um, there is like the Silka NFS lube, the Ceramic Speeds UFO drip, and a couple others that are true wax lubes <laughs> that might even be liquid at room temp. And those, I, I would I would say, are like supplements for somebody who's already using a wax chain. And I was going to say too, like if you're putting wax on top of oil, that doesn't work. Yeah. That doesn't work at all. And and frankly, like your chain new out of the box is covered in crappy oil. So the long and the short of it is, um, I think that there is an argument for doing wax chains because like it, you, it's, it's work on the front end, but then just think, what if you didn't have to lube your chain before every ride? What if you, you could hose off for your bike? For a week and a half. No, not for a week. And, probably for a month. I would say for probably for, the way most of us ride, probably for a month. You know, if once a month you're just throwing on a new chain and then once every three months you're treating three chains, you, know, you can treat yeah, the chains. Yeah, I think again. if you had a bunch of chains, you could I think do you it do it way. in batches and that's the way to do it. But, you, and here's the thing, like you're thinking of, you're only thinking of the front end investment on this. I think people should think of like every single ride, like you can hose off your bike and just throw it in the back and you know, throw it on the rack and go. You don't have to like get out the lube in the rack. And, and that's not even, and that's just the convenience. The performance benefits are huge. Yeah, like that chain, it like compared to the dirty, crappy chain you have in your garage right now, I bet that's 10 watts right there. It's yeah. something to think about. I don't know. So, so I'm going to try it and see how much of a pain it is. And see so to me, this life. sounds like there's kind of a, a bad, good, better kind of thing. You I know? think there's a, there's a best, an okay, and a bad. I don't know. I think the way we're lubing our bikes right now kind of sucks. I think well, it's what we're used to, and it's it seems easy. I think there's probably a better way. Because I, th- okay, I think bad is the kids that don't lube their... Right. You, you know, don't, don't do ever, anything. They don't do everything unless it's making a ton of noise or, or they lube right. it maybe every fifth ride, never clean it. That's right, bad. Right, right. You know, then there's people like me, like okay. every single ride, I clean off my chain, I yeah. clean off the pulley wheels, I clean off my teeth on my my cassette and everything in my yep. chain. I do that like almost every ride. I get the chain pretty clean, then I ap- apply the muck off yellow stuff, let it dry, wipe most of it off. You know, my chain never makes noise. Yeah. It lasts me through a long ride. Sure. You know, I'd say that's probably good. And I think that's probably what most people should at least be doing. Yeah. But the waxing your chain is is definitely sounds like the next level. 
you yeah. know, that, that's going to take a little bit more time and, and, you know, and an investment up front, but probably is better. I think, definitely. I think, I think for day to day convenience, waxing blows traditional drip lubing out of the water. I think it's going to make your chains last significantly longer and it's going to make you more efficient. It just seems mm. like a win, win, win me. So I'm going to do this on my road bike first. Okay. You try it. See how it goes. I'll, I'll hope to do it on my mountain bike. And then I'm totally game to come back here and be like, you know, I didn't feel like it made that much of a difference. I'm going back to drip lubes, but I think there's something here and I'm really interested to try. So yeah, I, will try keep people, be... I will keep people up to date. And I'll keep using my yellow experiment. muck off. Yeah. And I'm not knocking it. It's fine. I just think there might be a better option out there that we would be foolish to disregard. Yeah, no, that's definitely interesting. All right. All right. Well, that's all I have uh, prepped on that. Um, this is, I would highly encourage you to go check out uh, Adam Kieran's work, check out zero friction cycling, and then go to this. The uh, cycling tips has done two articles on it. They did a chain longevity and efficiency one, and then a lube specific one. Super dense, really, really interesting reading. Adam, would you just call me? What? Uh, <laughs> well, not, I, 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 dense, maybe super interesting. Definitely not. Um, yeah, really, really interesting stuff. I will keep you up to date on my experiment here. And if you have any questions, you folks know where to send them. Okay. And I am going to go see if my chain stretched right now. Go check. I'll ch- I probably check mine too. It's been a minute. Talk to you soon, folks.